buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed as you can tell, I'm stretching. Good roll, mate. Yeah, we're rolling from uh, <laughs> mate. So fuck, it's been a while since we've caught up. Uh, last time was what in the battalion, or do we get to see oh, you? Yeah. you Actually, I think I saw you randomly in the airport once. Um, I think Sydney airport years ago. Years ago, do you remember? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you, you it while, mate. <laughs> uh, lots happens from from one hour days. You went on to to commando, uh, yeah. and spent how many years were you there, mate? Uh, eight years. Yeah. So I did another three trips uh, with two commando. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Afghan, all of them? Uh, yeah, yeah, Afghan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I don't know what um, what it'd be like, because that was the original, that was the, the new iteration of, that was a, the two commando selection course, wasn't it? One of the, in the early days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but we pretty much went from that after the year of Rio, then next year onto the on trip, uh, rotation 18. Uh, and that was you know, pretty hectic. Um, so, yeah, pretty much straight into it, straight into the deep end after six months in the unit. What's it like? Is it is it going from one unit, so you start off, I mean, when you first join one area, you're, you know, you're... You're not king of the shit, you're shit of the kings. Uh, <laughs> Well, they're there, you should have. Um, and then you go through one IR, you finally get to a place where you're confident in your own abilities, and then you go down to, as a proficient soldier in one IR, then you move down to two commando, and you're like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely daunting. Um, you know, I remember even just getting through Rio and then getting into the unit, into the company. And even though uh, a lot of the guys from one IR that, we, that I did selection with were in the same company as myself, it was, it was very daunting going straight into the company and and being expected to perform at a higher standard. And um, yeah, it is quite daunting. Uh, and it takes a, you know, a couple of years of being there before you kind of get used to that, um, even after you finish Rio, because even, even after you finish Rio, you still you still don't really know half the stuff that you're gonna end up knowing by the end of um, your time at, you know, as a commando. But um, yeah, it's daunting, um, but you just gotta get through it, I guess. Um, and then going through, doing some of these trips that happened there's some pretty i mean there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment but there's some they were back in the quite there was a, there's still quite a lot of kinetic activity happening on those trips hey? 100 uh, percent. um some of the jobs that we were doing with the dea were probably some of the most kinetic jobs that have been done um by commandos over in afghanistan so yeah it was uh especially going from uh from my experience in Urus gun with one RAI, so then going into Helmand and Kandahar provinces for all that all of our jobs. Uh, a big big eye opener. Um, and every single time you go out there is basically uh, kinetic. Um, yeah, it's what's it like on the other side? So remember, I mean it was Camp Russell was the SF base, wasn't it? Yeah. Within what's it like on the other side of the fence? We always dreamt of there was cause there was gonna be like there was lobster and beers and everyone was just kicking back. <laughs> You know, it's been more relaxed. Um, you know, especially when you go to um, you go to a Green Beans or whatever and get a brew, and then some pogue is harassing you, giving you shit. You can go to Camp Russell and just and, and hide from them because they can't get in. So, uh, <laughs> which happened quite a few times. But um, yeah, that's 
it's, it's good. The facilities are good. It's, 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 um, you don't have to wait three days to get on the phone to call home. Um, it's plenty of phones for everyone. There's internet for everyone. Um, you know, as you remember, with a one area, we'd be away from patrol for weeks at a time, and then you'd get back and you often have to wait hours and hours to actually get on the phone to call home because the rest of the um, brigade or you know whatever is you're waiting in line behind all them. Um, but yeah, the infrastructure facilities are made it much better than outside of fence. Oh, mate, I used to remember the phone calls that I used to listen to when we used to sit in the, in the and you yeah. remember that, or was it, uh, it was around, uh, was it Ramadan they do? What's yeah. the, and then they did the celebration, there's all these dudes running out, yeah. shooting AKs in the air, and then I heard this uh, non-combatant speaking to his missus on the phone, like, yeah, we're just taking rounds, babe, I've got to go, and we're like, what are you talking about, mate? It's celebratory fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I can't believe this. I can't. And and you would you would you would hear people purposely leaving their miss. Like I've got to go, babe, and then know. hang up the phone to keep them stressed as fuck. And you're like, what are yeah. you talking about, mate? Like pick up know. the phone. Oh, see you, Keegan. <laughs> you mate. Had enough. No, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You see people deliberately misleading people back home, um, making them out to believe that more's going on for them than, than not. But you know, it's one of the frustrations, I guess, of going over there and doing the job and going on patrol, and other people are taking credit for other people's actions, I guess. But yeah, oh, mate, let them. Have yeah, they've got no other stories. It's yeah, that's it. You spend your whole time behind the fucking wall doing fuck all, and you got to tell. Some Mind you, if you you weren't 100% sure. If you're brand new and you heard dudes, fucking idiots out, outside shooting AKs, it was only a matter of time till they, till they, till they started fucking shooting Australians anyway. Yeah. So the, the risk was still there. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. And then going, because the it's it sort of carried on over back home. You can understand that the SF community being fairly tight-lipped, just blanketing, but there's fucking idiots getting around at the moment, sort of showboating. And carrying on about sort of stuff, and you can see where people want to sort of separate it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to go too much into all that, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, yeah. Um, a lot of people have trouble, I think, moving on um, and finding purpose outside of the, the army, and um, and I think those people are, are the worst ones that are kind of stuck in uh, that mentality of still being over there, and they can't really think of anything else, to, and they can't move forward, they can't find purpose. In anything else in their life, but um, yeah, it can be. It's definitely frustrating. Speaking of purpose, mate, you got some purpose hanging up on the wall. I can't, I can't <laughs> help but look at it. And for yeah. anybody else that's just doing the audio file, um, there's about twelve hundred bikinis hanging up on the back wall. <laughs> so what happened? You got out. Uh, you transition out. Moved on to to finding some purpose. How did the whole? Was it? Without me putting words in your mouth, was it your idea, your missus' idea? You jumped on with her. Who was the brains of the operation? Well, we're both kind of two two halves of the same brain. Like my missus is the creative side, um, and she's the one that comes up with the with the patterns, the design, the branding, the content, and that kind of thing. And myself, um, I'm more of the numbers side of the business, the uh, analytics and the marketing, um, and that's what I enjoy, and, and it worked, worked really well. Um, obviously, the products are all her designs, um, and I just work in the in the numbers and the in the business and the accounting side of things. So um, the, the original idea was was hers. Like we started the business when I was still was still in. I was still working full time, um, 
and we had the business for about three years before I discharged. And uh, having an e-commerce business was kind of the perfect type of business to start up while I was still serving um, because it was a type of business that I could work on after hours after work and on the weekend. It wasn't didn't have to be managed nine to five Monday to Friday. It's online. It's, it's the website's always up. Customers can always shop. Um, and it gave us the opportunity to, to scale up and grow the business while I was still in, having a supplementary income until, um, you know, come time discharge to then come out and then want to work on the business full time. Um, so the, the initial idea was kind of both of ours, we both wanted a business. Um, she, Sarah previously had a hair salon um, that she owned and, and sold for a bit of a profit and I wanted a business that I could work on on a daily basis. Um, so we thought e-commerce, you know, I have a love for software and technology and numbers and um, e-commerce kind of fit that, um, that void pretty well. Uh, Sarah could work on it with a creative flair, come up with products and designs, uh, and I could do everything on the numbers and analytical side of things in the business as well, and I could work with software. And um, So it was just a perfect fit. How, how is it working with you, Mrs.? Is there, is there a hierarchy? Is there, or is there a point where you're like, Mate, I'm in charge. Or <laughs> is she like, no, get back in the kitchen because I'm running this show? Plenty of, we always have arguments. Um, <laughs> the direction of where we want to go with the business. Um, you know, over the years, we've just had to come to work, be able to work together and um, go through things as a discussion rather than an argument because we're on the same team at the end of the day. Um, but Sarah has uh, freedom to do whatever she wants with the creative side of the business and the branding and the direction. That she thinks we should be going with, with that side of thing because I don't know the first, um, the first thing about fashion or fashion design or um, what women want to wear. I wouldn't know. So she has the creative kind of um, lead on everything, uh, and everything else is the discussion, I guess. Um, but, and we've worked that over the last six years of running the business. That is that the only way for us to to move forward properly is to discuss everything rather than turn it to an argument. But absolutely, in the early days, it was often an argument of this is what I want to do, this is what I want to do, and then it would we'd clash. But we've had to learn to um, work together, I guess, um, over the years. Sounds like it's working anyway, mate. How, how, how big is your company now? Have you got how many employees you got? we got a couple. We, we only really work on an outsourced um, model, so we do have employees that all work uh, remotely. Okay. Um, but we all of our logistics is run out of a logistics centre in Sydney, so a third-party centre. Um, so... It's worked for us quite well that we have we'll have days where we do a couple hundred orders a day. We have might have days where we're doing twenty, thirty, or fifty orders a day. But the good thing about outsourcing that logistical business model is that when they, we do have those days of a couple hundred orders, we're not in charge of the staff um, to make sure those orders are picked, packed, and dispatched. Uh, that's the job of the outsourced logistics center. So we've tried to keep our businesses kind of lean as possible with minimal employees. Um, so. We have a couple of outsourced staff that do customer service, and again, they're working on a, um, uh, I suppose, a flexible uh, work, and so they might do more hours one week if it's busier, or less hours the next week. So it's worked quite well for us to be able to scale up um, during our busy times and then scale back down during the off season or when we're switching between, say, the North American market and back to the Australian New Zealand market because you know the summer uh, at the moment, for example, uh, we're just coming out of the North American. Somewhere in a busy time over there, we're switching our marketing back to New Zealand and Australia. So um, during these off-seasonal times in between is when we kind of scale back down again, get things ready for the next 
um, for the next season and then start pushing up uh, again. So um, it's worked pretty well for us and, and it means that we can keep our, all that cost proportionate to our revenue and we don't have these five fixed, fixed costs eating into our um, margins. 100%, mate. I, I love it. I mean, everything you've just said is, is the perfect advice piece for um, diggers getting out who, yeah. who want to start their own business. A, try and start it while you're in, while you've still got security and the defence forces still making sure there's a roof over your head. Yeah. Validate your business, make sure it's going to work and then then get out and start it and, and use everything that's elastic so you're only paying for what you need at the time. That's, that's yeah. fucking golden advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's something Keegan's working on at the moment, trying to build together freelancer lists so that we don't have to employ a thousand videographers and photographers and content yeah. providers so that when if, if money starts to slow down or dry up, then we're not fucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've seen that model way too many times. I mean, it's the, the, the charity model is exactly that, especially in the veteran space. It's get a massive grant, hire 5,000 people, run out of money, go back to the government and tell them you're about to go under, yeah. blackmail them for more money, and they just keep cutting checks to keep your doors open yeah. and you're not actually doing anything. No, exactly and, right, yeah. And, and te- yeah. Technology's there too. What, what kind of um, – oh, firstly, before we go into the technology yeah. stuff, who, who do you um, – you, you, know, you don't use Amazon? Who, who's your fulfillment centre? Uh, so we give them a plug or? Uh, of course, it's called in Banco in, in Moorbank. Um, so we've done a case study with them as well as um, part of the growth of our business and success that we had outsourcing our logistics to, to them. Um, they also did a case study on our business to, to show, um, you know, this outsourced business model, um, especially when it comes to logistics, is, is one of the, you know, logistics um, and marketing are the biggest things in any e-commerce business, the, the biggest expenses and um, the biggest moving parts is logistics in, in e-commerce. Um, so... Uh, in Banco, in World Bank, it's literally around the corner from Holsworthy. When I was in Holsworthy for three years running this business, it was literally around the corner. So I could pop in there, have a discussion or a meeting with them on a Friday afternoon after work um, and, you know, shoot through things that we need to change, uh, work on software and how we're going to use software to our advantage um, to, I suppose, uh, automate workflows and things within a business that can be automated with software. Um, so that, that, was, that was great. And we still use them to this day. Yeah, right. What about the, the international stuff? They, they do it all? Yeah, they do everything. So um, since we moved to them, um, you know, from when we first started in the first six months, we were shipping to Australia only. This is six years ago. We first started shipping to New Zealand. Um, so Sarah was running down to the post office on a daily basis, sending orders out. Um, and then, you know, I had my first shoulder surgery and I... After one day of helping her pack orders after being home from work, I said, this is shit. We need to outsource this. <laughs> um, and within like a week or two of that, we had it at Moorbank and, and uh, at outsourced our logistics. And when we did, it opened up the door for us to use uh, freight carriers and logistical um, companies such as DHL, uh, USPS, FedEx, which we didn't have access to as a regular consumer going to the post office. And that then meant that we opened up the, the floodgates for us to sell internationally not like outside of New Zealand as well. Um, and then the North American market was just was massive, bro. It's our biggest market. Um, you know, it gets even bigger for us than Australia um, because of that logistics centre that we can ship to those uh, other countries um, and we can get things to North America within three to five business days. Uh, which we yeah, that's yeah. sick. And how, mate, I'm, I'm going to turn this podcast into a fucking picky brain session. <laughs> How um how do they compare with Amazon? Because Amazon's just so cheap. Like I've, 
Running running numbers yeah. on fulfilment of anything. Yeah. I mean, especially when you when you're smaller. We we don't do a lot of merch because yeah. it's not really our primary focus. But Amazon fucking smokes Australia pro- post on on pricing. Yeah. Yeah, they do, and we we have tested. We did send some stock to an Amazon fulfillment center in America uh, years ago to test that out. You know, to qualify for Amazon Prime shipping, you need to have your stuff in the Amazon fulfillment center. So um, that was a big thing we wanted to test out. Um, but to be honest, the and Amazon is a behemoth of e-commerce, but their software is lacking. And any stock that we sent to the Amazon Fulfillment Center, that stock was now, we couldn't sell that stock on our website anymore because we couldn't fulfill orders through our website from the Amazon Fulfillment Center um, because they are only fulfilling things that are sold through Amazon through their Fulfillment Center. So... Is that, I don't think that's still the case. It might be changed now. Yeah. Um, but... At the time, when we, when we tested it out, because our website is hosted on Shopify, um, and majority of our traffic coming from Facebook and Instagram um, through paid advertising, um, any orders that are made through Shopify would be sent through to NetSuite, um, the system that's run by Banker, that third-party logistics centre, who would then dispatch the orders, providing tracking information back to the customers. But when we were testing Amazon, um, the stock was in their fulfillment center and that at the time that meant for us that that was stock that we couldn't sell on any other sales channel we couldn't sell it on our website because that was inventory which was now separate from yeah and how they, this new company you've got they're fairly decent on price i'm gonna have to have a look at them yeah absolutely yeah they're really good on price they um you know they offer everything through australia post star trek dhl fedex usps all the, all the main carriers and the good thing about them is they have a software system and an algorithm that will, as an example, if we're shipping an item uh, express to to America, um, their system will then pick out, out of all the freight carriers that are shipping to um, where that customer is, there might be DHL, there might be FedEx, there might be USPS, they're all shipping express. Their least cost algorithm will pick the cheapest method to ship to that customer um, in the time frame that we specify based on the KPIs that we've given them, and then it will then ship to them. And uh, using that method, least cost, which is, saves us money because we still get it to the customer in the time frame that we've told the customer we'll get to them. But it's picking the shipping carrier, which provides the time frame at the lowest cost. And, um, you know, ca- carriers can be, it's not always, as you guys would know, it's, it's certain, certain counties and states in America might be cheaper or more expensive using DHL. And vice versa for a different area. So that algorithm that they have developed in Banco uh, saves us a lot of money because you know, what I mean? like it'll pick the least cost shipping method, um, and that's something that we couldn't do with with our Amazon. Yeah, yeah, mate. It's still something I've got to keep looking into. Uh, one of the girls that works with us, Jess, has been looking at, at Amazon, and she was. Um, 99% confident we can. I mean, I just want to hold all of our stock in their warehouse anyway, but um, obviously everything's going to be sold through the website. We're not selling charity merch yeah, on yeah, an Amazon yeah. sales platform. It's a yeah. fucking waste of time. But, um, yeah, it looks like it'll be all right. The only thing I am worried about is is um, presentation when it turns up. Like shit from Amazon, it's just rammed in a box, covered in bubble wrap, and, and there it goes. Yeah. And you kind of want you, – you lose, like, for what we're trying to push anyway, when, when merch isn't – a volume product for us. It's more like you want people to be happy when they're opening it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's that's why. I mean, it's it's easy to keep them happy when you're doing it yourself, but you fucked if I want to hand wrap fifty shirts a day. Well, and, and that's the thing. Um, 
the company that we're using for logistics now is not our first uh, logistics center. We've used it. We've used other ones in Western Sydney that have done the exact same thing. We have products arriving to customers that had dirty footprints and full of dust and wasn't, and, and that's a representation of our company to the customer. They don't care. The customer doesn't care what the logistics center has done wrong. They only care how they receive their package. So that's happened to us as well. And, and um, through trial and error, we found this company that we've been with now for a few years. Um, it's, everything's perfect. You know, everything's clean. Everything's arrives to the customer um, as it's supposed to be presented. Not we don't have those issues anymore. And that that has been something we've had um, as a problem in the past. But yeah, and that's that's the problem. But some of the really cheap logistics centres. Um, they don't look up your, your stock. Right. Yeah. Go, going on that, so <clears throat> the, the being the outward-facing point where you can present this this high-quality merchandise or product to, to your customers, yeah. I went into a suit shop, and I normally go into a suit shop, and it's like, uh, what are those cheap ones? We don't have to name them, but, you know, you walk in there and you get them off, you get a suit off the rack and some chicks say, Vinny's, Vinny's, I think you're talking about. Mate. Yeah, or op shop for rugby piss-ups. And you go in there and they're like, yeah, here's a, here's a suit, wear that, you're fine. I went up to Darwin, I was like, fuck, I'm done here. I went to a dining in night. And, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I'm fucking done. And they said, oh, you need to wear a dinner suit. And I was like, yeah, this will be good in Darwin. And I went to this shop, mate, and there was this young dude, 19 years old, and it was like old English, leather seats, whiskey. He's like, sir, called me sir the whole, yeah. suits. It was phenomenal, mate. Absolutely phenomenal. The From yeah. start to finish, I'm like, I'm going to buy two suits off this fucking dude. <laughs> and going from that and walking in and spending $9 on a coffee shop and sitting on a fucking milk crate because it's Sydney um, fucking hipster. No, this is cool. I'm like, fuck you. Can we go back to... Yeah. Sitting on some decent furniture, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's part of the customer experience, isn't it? Like, um, you know, um, as an example, um, when I was buying uh, jewelry for Sarah through Tiffany and Co., the experience you get when you go to that shop, they give you champagne, they make you feel like you're a king. You know what I mean? And and that's all part of the customer experience. And then um, translating that to our own customers is also a quite important um, thing for us. You know. Um, Making sure every customer has a great experience. It's not we're not selling ten thousand dollars jewelry, but you can still do uh, what you can to make the customer experience awesome. And if if they don't have a great experience, then customer service, um, I suppose, picking up the slack where something like a logistics center or Australia Post might have let down the, um, well, you know, um, dropped the bundle a little bit. You've got to pick that up through customer service and customer recovery. So. Absolutely, it's the most important thing of the business. We, we wouldn't have a business without customers. Um, if your show is like, yeah, you're going to go tell everyone about that story, about that time you were in Darwin in the suit shop because it was such a great experience for you. And that's the impression that they've left on you probably years ago now or whenever it was, is going to stay with you and you're going to tell everyone about the shop. Because Mate, there was like, I bought a um, dinner shirt and he's like, dude, um, he said, He's like, oh, we'll iron it for you here. Don't worry about it. We'll get it all pressed, clean, ready. We can deliver it. We'll, we'll get it all done by yeah. five o'clock this afternoon if you want. Yeah. Got me made. It was greasy suit. Hey, what do, you, what do you mean he's got to iron it for you? Before no, it, was a, it was a winged. What is it like a dinner suit? Uh, winged collar. I don't know, mate. Boats, mate. Fucking James. Bond. I went to a five star restaurant in Sydney the other day with this on, mate. So don't talk to me about winged suits, <laughs> winged <laughs> collared shirts, mate. 
<laughs> and, yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like, the impression that that company has left on you is going to, you're now an advocate for that company. You're going to tell everyone about that company and the great experience you had. Um, and, and, you know, we're trying to emulate the same kind of thing with our customers so we can, we want all of our customers to become advocates for our brand. Um, and make sure everyone has an awesome experience like you, you did at, at the suit shop in Darwin, you know. So you will tell everyone about that. Yeah. So on that, your customer service, so your you inbound customer stuff, you outsource that as well or did you, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so are, how, how did you set that up? Uh, so we use a, company, a program called Zendesk. Um, we've previously used Freshdesk um, and looking at the moment to change to another one called uh, Gorgias um, just because of the integration with Shopify, our e-commerce platform but because um because our, our logistics center in sydney is all everything's cloud-based all of our inventory all of our order information is all accessible online uh, we actually had a lady uh, from new zealand that's she's been working with us for years we've never met her she does our customer service she can log into zendesk remotely um, and she can log into the warehouse management system remotely um, and it's all we can run everything through um, the online systems without actually meeting and it is people because of the technology and the software that we use. So, um, yeah, Zendesk is what we use for our customer service. I think you guys are using HubSpot uh, or something. So it's similar to, you know, uh, a CRM-based software tool, um, and then that'll integrate with Shopify, an e-commerce platform, and then she can access the warehouse management system as well because it's all online. Um, yeah, nice. Now I've had a look at Zendesk, but I didn't. Th- I don't think it was a full CRM. It was just. Um, customer service yeah which exactly. is obviously what you're after yeah, exactly. and what, what about like their, their messaging though like do you ever get this is this is my biggest fear ever in any business was to outsource customer service and then have uh someone offshore like managing it yeah. going hey i've got a question it's a um it's a question that takes someone five seconds to think about if yeah. they're one of us but they're going to get a response from a dude in the philippines it's like yeah Hey, I got the wrong size, and the, the the response is completely fucking off topic. Like, has that ever yeah. been an issue? Yeah, definitely it has. Um, and when we first looked to bring on multiple customer service staff, that was definitely an issue for us. And Sarah will, you know, uh, audit Zendesk um, and make sure the customers are happy. You know, customers can uh, rate their experience with a customer service agent. So if there's a downward trend of a customer service agent not performing or something like that, um, we can audit their responses to customers and then pull them in line but that's definitely happened that's definitely been a big when we first moved from running the customer service ourselves to outsourcing it that was the biggest concern um is that that exact same thing is going to happen that but at the end of the day you have to be able to pass off certain aspects of the business to other people otherwise you're never going to grow um and we had the same mentality with the logistics initially how can we make sure the logistics center is going to represent our brand. And we've been through half a dozen logistics centers before we found one that was a good fit um, and just trial and error. You know, there's the same with staff, um, making sure that they are aware of how you want them to interact with customers and, and how you want them to treat them. If they don't, you pull them in line, give them another chance. If not, you can get rid of them. And with the other- Ah, that's where we've gone wrong. We pull them in line and give them another chance. <laughs> yeah. I see. We just I see. fire people. <laughs> well, thank you for another chance, whatever. Uh, we got we got diggers as volunteers, mate. They get smacked, and then that's yeah. it. You're out the door. <laughs> no, we haven't. We haven't. No, we haven't got any volunteers. Past, in my last, yeah, no, we haven't got them either. No, we got a couple. Um, past businesses, I was on speed dial with fucking um, fair work. 
Because, I mean, that was, that was my biggest issue coming out of the military um, as a full track where it's like people are, they're not, well, some people, diggers are still motivated by money, but most of them are there for love of the job and purpose yeah. and stuff. And yeah. they fuck up, you smack them around and you get angry or whatever. I mean, obviously the military probably doesn't teach the best retraining or, or <laughs> leadership in that aspect, but um, that was my mindset. And I came out and started a restaurant and, mate, chefs are fucked to deal with. Yeah. Well, the ones that we had were anyway. <laughs> And it got to the point where I'm like, I've had a guardy. There's no, there's no more second chances. If you're yeah. doing this well, some of these guys should have been fired like yeah. a while ago. But it was like, all right, you fucked up. Yeah. Well, exactly right. And if, if someone doesn't resonate with your company and they're not um, presenting themselves the way you want them to to your customers, then you're going to get rid of them. Um, and I suppose that's an advantage of us using the outsource business model is that it's easier to get rid of someone who's not performing and it's easier to reward someone that is performing but if they're not performing, it's very it's easy to get rid of them, and um, that's and that's why we stick to that model, I guess. But it's not like with hospitality; it's not it's not it's not possible. But yeah, yeah. I mean, hospitality and what we're doing now with 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 mental health and technology is two completely different industries. Yeah. Plus, thankfully, I mean, Max Max's um, title slash role is like setting the culture, and that is a big one, especially with veterans. Yeah. Set the culture right at the start, and people come in and they don't want to fuck up. Um, yeah, exactly. Like people actually, I mean, that's part of the purpose building as well. If you give people good culture at a company, yeah, um, they'll come in and they'll want to be part of it regardless. Whereas chefs, mate, they are there for a paycheck, nine to five, turning up high as a kite, yeah. cooking, <laughs> cooking, buddy. Oh, I don't even want to go into it. Probably get sued for sending the food out that those boys used to send it. Your missus used to come in a bit, actually. I remember I started tracking, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't know. Super well um, when you went down to Sydney. Yeah. Um, but I know you, your missus used to come into the, the shop. Did you talk about your cafe um, all the time? Mm-hmm. Sorry, what was that? She used to talk about going to your cafe all the time. Yeah, yeah. it was. I mean, it was good. I used to love that job. Yeah. Um, that that went downhill after <laughs> staffing issues. Also, should have had elastic staffing models. What's there the or, fucking common trend here, mate? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> staff, mate. Staff. <laughs> <Not me. laughs> You are yeah. literally Donald Trump, mate. <laughs> you should get on the apprentice. Nah, mate. Don't. I mean, this this is a good advice point. I don't like giving advice, but young diggers out there, if you want to start a business, e-commerce is where to go. Don't start a fucking restaurant, whatever you do. <laughs> yeah. They're painful, mate. You'll work nine days a week for the rest of your life and be struggling to make minimum wage for yourself. Yeah. And, so, and the uh, trade-off, you know, like you wouldn't be able to start in a hospitality business while still being in the army. And um, I really think if if – I had to start this business with Sarah after I was out of the army. It wouldn't have worked because it took us a good six to 12 months to actually turn a profit and to know what we're doing. Without that supplementary income, it wouldn't have worked. Um, so it's probably – and we wouldn't have been able to do any other business um, apart from e-commerce that had that flexibility whilst I was still working full-time. But, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, I guess. But, um, yeah, um, you definitely need to have – uh, some way to mitigate risk uh, whilst you want to start the business. Um, my opinion, to be able to still have an income in at the same time so you don't pull your hair out, um, stressed about money all the time. You know what I mean? Mm. And you set yourself up with a with a work-life balance with a – I mean, obviously not so much work-life when you're still in because you're at work and yeah. then coming home and then, and then going back to work. But when you get out, you, you would have noticed that, hey, I used to do a nine-to-five job. Yeah. So now that time's free. Yeah, I don't. I don't have to be slaving away over an e-commerce business. Um, yeah, eight days a week. 
So nah, it sounds like the perfect model, mate. Yeah. So what have you done wrong, mate? This is the instruction sold separately podcast we talk about. I want to know what you fucked, uh, you know, in your business where you're like, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. Or um, even during your career, mate. I mean, there's boys that listen to this that are all budding young um, diggers in the battalions, mate, that want to join and go west. What are the big lessons you've learned in your life, mate? Because you've come so far and, you've, and you're a successful business dude now, mate. Yeah, um, well, I guess, um, especially with the business, is not going all in. Um, one of the biggest, it's been one of the biggest, um, so it's pros, but it's also been one of the biggest cons to myself with the business is risk-taking. In the Army, you're rewarded to take risk, um, and you have that mentality of all in all the time, and I had that mentality with the, the business as well, and it, it, um, it allowed us to get to where we are today by, by taking big risks, but it also has its downside of when things didn't work out, the risks and the stakes were so much higher. So learning to balance um, risk-taking, um, which is rewarded in the Army, but in business you can't always take too much, too many risks, I guess. Um, you need to mitigate risk and, and I suppose not go all in financially especially um, until you, I suppose, tested the, tested the waters and then see where you want to take things. So... Um, that's a big uh, thing for us, I guess. Uh, if you, as an example, a few times we've had we manufacture all of our things in bulk in China because we have, have our own brand. So a few times we've had um, orders of production go through a couple of thousand pieces have arrived at the warehouse, and there's been a manufacturing fault. Um, but we're committed, you know, we've we've now got ten, twenty thousand dollars worth of stock that we can't sell because it's, it was made correctly or something. Um, but in that example, we could mitigate that risk, I guess, by putting in smaller quantities initially until the production was squared away and we were happy with everything that was getting done. Uh, and then having more systems in place to keep manufacturers accountable. Um, and then one thing we implemented after that lesson was quality control. So we'd, we'd pay a third-party company to go to our manufacturers in China and do a 10% check of everything. Um, you know, those are the... I suppose it's a double-edged sword, this risk-taking. Um, that's one of the big things, I guess. Mm, yeah, mate, I got, that's something I've got to work on too. Yeah. I love going all in. Yeah. Um, I like gambling. I'm a big fan of gambling, mate, in any aspect of my life, mate. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's I mean that's, that's the best thing you know, about having a charity. We've got a board. We've got, we've got like, dudes on the real... Um, go no, you you can't you can't risk. I mean, the, the risk almost needs to be fucking zero when you're dealing with donated money. But my last two businesses, mate, it was part of the fun. I guess was go, hey, yeah. I'm gonna have a crack. Well, the first one anyway, I had no idea. I was just like, yeah, it's all my money. Take it. Yeah. Buy me a restaurant. Yeah. yeah, see you later. Yeah, that's <laughs> something I've noticed with this, mate. Especially when you talk like, because you've you've held the reins pretty hard with with this and especially financial reins, mate, when there's, we've got external agencies that come in, they're just like, they're throwing zeros on the end of things. And we're like, yeah. whoa, 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 it's not a business dude. This is charity money. People have yeah. donated money. Yeah. You're working for a charity. They're like, oh no, you just give us, you know, mm. unless you pull them up, they, they just treat you like another fucking business, mate. Oh, well, and that's a, that's a big thing, I guess, is uh, another point that we just, what you just mentioned is as soon as you're a business or a company and you're going to other agencies, um, trying to get them to pay them to do to a job, whether it's a marketing company or whether it's um, I don't know logistics or whatever. A lot of them will take advantage, um, and consultants especially will, you know, try and charge you, um, put throw an extra zero on the end because they know you're a company, 
Um, and a lot of that, we learned the hard way as well. Like we paid a lot of money to consultants that we learned nothing from and we didn't appreciate our own skills in the business and we didn't, we didn't have enough trust, I suppose, in what we were doing that was right. Because we would always think, okay, a consultant can help us do better um, because they're a consultant, right? That's why we paid them 20 grand. Wrong. No, you have to have trust in you doing uh, what you're doing um, as being right because p people will come onto your business and, and take advantage and try and just take money off the table and then they'll fuck off and, and then you'll be out of pocket and no one wins for them. Yeah, it's the strategy tactics. Everyone offers strategy. Nobody, no, and and there's very few people like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. This is execution phase stuff, mate. You're dead. Like, oh, yeah. what are you going to do? Like, oh, we're going to, you know, how many marketing uh, social media managers and all these sort of shit that is like, yeah. what are you fucking talking about? They're just putting zeros on the end of stuff and like, yeah. we've already got a social media matrix. Thanks, mate. What do you want? I was watching Olo's um, presentation yesterday's podcast and I think he, Get a few things um, on the head with that is that you, it's really important as a business owner to to sit in all the positions in the business. So when someone does come along from an agency and you want to start outsourcing that to a, to, a, to an agency, you can call bullshit when they're saying that this is what needs to be done. You know, as an example, I've always run all the Facebook ads and um, paid advertising um, for our business, and then it got to the point that I was just getting too busy doing that, so I was looking to outsource that. If I didn't, if I never ran those ads or never worked in all of the positions in our business, the same as with logistics and packing orders, we wouldn't know when someone else is talking shit to call them on that because we've never done that job in the business. I think that's vitally important in any business. And um, I don't know, Hassan, what do you reckon? Hundred percent, mate. Um, that was. I'll, I'll go. I'll start with the first business I had with. I had no. I'd worked in heaps of hospitality before I joined the army, traveling around the world. And, and doing front of house stuff, I was all over. So when we started this restaurant, um, uh, when we, we didn't bring consultants in, but yeah. the, 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 the crossover is I knew how to train the fuck out of the people at the front. I knew to pull them up on all the small stuff. Yeah. Kitchen guys, I hired this head chef who, I mean, he's, he's employed to work in the business, but he's also got to build the kitchen team. Yeah. And I just had to take everything at face value. Yeah. And he had five dudes on a day when, looking back at it now, I could have done it with one and a half, yeah. maybe two. Yeah. One full-time dude yeah. and a couple of casuals, we would have been good to go. And I mean, the big one, that, that crosses over to now. Like with, with Swiss yeah. 8, we had a um, mutual acquaintance that came and worked for us for a little bit um, that loved throwing around a lot of strategy that had no fucking real yeah. grip to it was hey on bring on um this social media marketer and thank fuck mate i've done a lot of social media and, and pay-per-click advertising so she came on and she's like oh I'll, I'll do consulting i'm like no we don't need a consultant here's here's what we want to do i need yeah. you to execute it and the, the amount she wanted to charge no shit automated um with software which i'm a hundred percent sure she was aware of and was using she would have been paying subscriptions for software at about 12 bucks a month yeah. Then charging us six hundred bucks a week yeah. for her to and I as a rule, like, no. yeah, yeah. And they they turn around and go, hey, uh, so I'll, I'll build it out and build you a, a, a matrix and build you a, a plan of what you should be doing, and then you go and do all the content, you do the uploading, all the posting. I'm like, <laughs> now we've done all of what you just said. Yeah. Um, how about you fuck off yeah. and I'll spend fifteen minutes a month yeah. doing your job. Safety so hours a week, yeah, hundred percent. But I mean, there's a, I mean, they're, they're in business in that way because there's companies out there that okay. have never done it like you said and go oh 600 bucks a week that's cheap which i mean long term it is if you've got a massive company but yeah. um but you know yeah. if you have a bigger 
some of the consultants, the first thing they'll ask is how much you make. Because they want to set yeah. prices on how much your revenue is. And it should be irrelevant how much we're making. It's the work that we want you to do and the KPIs we want you to meet. But you'll find a lot of those, I think that's a big red flag. If a consultant says how much you're making on a monthly basis before they give you a pricing uh, structure, that's a red flag right there. We've had well, that. In, the, in the car industry, they call it a wood duck. So... Do you know, so you walk in and, and you walk in the car yard and you're like, oh, I like that car. They don't put stickers on them, right? They, if there's no fucking label on. I'm like, oh, how much are you looking to spend? Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, about 15 grand. They go around the back, they put 15 grand on the car. And they go, <laughs> I've got a car here for 15 grand. And you're like, fuck, it's called yeah. a wood duck, mate. <laughs> mate. That's, that's the um, Wolf of Wall Street model, mate. When, you, when you're negotiating anything, the person who puts a price on it first loses. Yeah, yeah. It's like any it, – it's all, all – like my ex-wife used to work for an advertising agency. Yeah. Um, she's a designer. And Ben, now our, our CTO, obviously he's done a bit of work with different um, tech companies. And the first thing they do in scoping meetings is go, what's your budget? Yeah. And I get it. If you're, work, if you're, if you're doing a campaign for NAB – Yeah. It's like, what's your budget? All right, we'll build some ads based on that million-dollar budget yeah. you got. But they don't give a shit if they lose a million bucks. You go in there as a small business and go, what's your budget? You're like, I don't know. I've got 50 bucks in the bank. They're like, we'll take that. That'll do. Yeah. And they, they do $5 worth of work. I know. Yeah, absolutely. So, and same, exactly right. Like, and I find, I've found it myself when I run ads, um, I'm invested because if, we, if those ads don't perform, it's only going to hurt myself and Sarah um, and our bottom line, whereas with a consultant, they can spend whatever they want. Um, and if the ads don't perform, I don't really care because they still want to get paid, and it's not their money that's being burnt in advertising. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think you need to understand all the different aspects of your business and then be able to call bullshit on people that are trying to take advantage. And people make businesses out of taking advantage of other businesses that don't know what they're doing. Um, and mm. we've, been, we've been hit by that as well, as I said, in the early days. Yeah, um, if you don't learn quickly, then you'll get burnt and... We can push you out of business. So I think that's a really, really important thing. Yeah, 100% agree, mate. 100% agree. Most small, I mean, again, don't like giving advice, but most small businesses, when they're ready, when they've got the budget to, to, to step up, you need to be outsourcing the, the grunt work first, yeah. not the strategy. Learn the strategy yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be an uneducated idiot running a big company if you're lucky enough yeah. to scale it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, um, mate? Any any the business is obviously humming now. Yeah. What, what were the big hurdles when you first got it going? Uh, I suppose when we, when we first started the business, we we weren't selling swimwear. We were we were buying from the wholesalers and reselling other people's product. And that was for about the first six months of our business. We we didn't make any money at all really in the first six months of our, of our business. Um, and it wasn't until Sarah um, come across some design that she wanted to incorporate into swimwear, um, that thing started actually kicking off for us. Um, and looking back now is because when we were selling wholesale products that someone else, um, we were buying from wholesalers, we were competing on price because there were hundreds of other businesses in Sydney selling the same products at their retail shops. And we're trying to sell the exact same things on our website. And we're not unique. We're competing on price and that's the only thing. And you don't want to run a business competing on price only. You need to especially your brand, you want to, you have to be unique. And we didn't know that at the beginning, so it took six months or more for us to actually get our own products um, designed um, in swimwear um, that were unique, and they just took off because c our customers couldn't get those products anywhere else but from our website. 
And when we discovered that, we learned that we changed our entire business model um, from selling other people's products to only selling our own. And that was the defining point of our business. Um, if we didn't discover that, then I, I dare say we wouldn't be in business today because we weren't making any money the first six months in the business. Um, but that comes down to trying and testing and finding what works. If we hadn't been trying and testing new things, uh, we would never would have discovered that and, and we'd be out of business. Um, yeah. I mean that was that was when I when I was first looking at different um, digital businesses to get up. I, I read fuck, Tim Ferriss Four Hour Workweek, and he was all about drop shipping. He's like, yeah. you find a product, so manufacturer. And I mean, there was when that first that kind of drop shipping boom um, was was kicking off. Perfect way to just do a little bit of social media marketing, set up a, a an online sales portal, and, and drop ship someone else's stuff, but. As soon as another bloke finds that same supplier, you are just competing on price, and yeah. you control nothing else. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. and that's, I guess, I mean, that some some people might still be into that. There's absolutely no work involved, yeah. but um, there's fuck all money in it too. And and when you do things like if you if you're competing on price, you're attracting cheapskates. Yeah, um, And as we know, cheapskates are like half the people we talk to every every second day. They are just looking to have a whinge about anything to get money back, and yeah. I mean not. Not with us now, but um, yeah, it's not what you want. You want you want to compete on quality. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be unique, and you need to be um, have quality. And yeah, especially with AliExpress and Alibaba nowadays, people can buy things on AliExpress without a minimum uh, quantity purchase. So, all you like you said, you're competing against these drop shippers, which had their heyday, but they might have tiny, tiny margins of only a couple of dollars profit per product, and it's not the race you want to be in. Um, in my opinion. Is that, you, is that where you found your, your um, manufacturers now through Alibaba? Yeah, Alibaba, yeah. How, how long did it take you to find a good one? Uh, you know, um, I probably, probably got to at least half a dozen uh, manufacturers in that um, field before we found ones that were acceptable for us. Um, but this is also, especially in the early days, um, or even to this day, there, there are some manufacturers, their minimum order quantity might be a couple thousand pieces per style um and if we're releasing a collection of 30 new styles it's a minimum of 30,000 pieces that we need to and that's too much risk as well and truly a couple hundred thousand dollars if not more or just one order so initially um finding a supplier that was both good quality but also would accept a lower moq um was sorry what's what's minimum minimum order quantity is moq so a lot of big suppliers they were only they say you know because they're also competing on um, price and they make money through economies of scale. They have to ship out a lot of product to actually make any money. So they will say, we're not going to produce this for you unless you take 20,000 pieces, for example. Um, if you can't meet that MOQ, you can't buy through that supplier. So we had to find a supplier in the, in the early days that would take a lower MOQ, but would still produce custom products, which was a... Um, Bit of a juggling initially and we got there after um, going through a few different suppliers and getting samples made and, and having a sample sent to us and that kind of thing um but you know that's a um oh mate thank fuck for samples we got these shirts <laughs> mate before i got um and we this is when i was looking at like building the model for was that still validating and i was like oh we should get uh while we're waiting to uh, like grow the brand and whatever we just need shitloads of shirts um, cause that's a, either give them away or, or, or sell them cheap just to get your brand yeah. out there. And, 
Um, we did. I found this found this place in Pakistan that was minimum order was ten thousand. Yeah. I was like, right, it's about as high as we yeah. want to go because yeah. um, and then they were going to be cheap. And I'm like, all right, had back and forth, back and forth, and then I'm like, nah, fuck, you need to send me some samples first. So I paid him like 150 bucks, yeah. got five samples, one small up up to two um, XL. They all, they all turned up the same size. I just had one had an S tag on it, one yeah. had an N tag, another tag. They are all the same size, mate. And the material they meant to be that like Under Armour kind of high quality yeah. stuff. They turned up. They were just fucking heavy cotton. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yep, that would have been expensive. Like, that would have been fifty grand or more down the drain at least. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, some people, that's nearly fucking done, isn't it? You're done. Yeah, yeah. 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 One mistake yeah. and you're back to fucking. This is the big thing that I'm starting to learn now that I'm out of the army and, and actually starting to fucking engage with people is that business, I come in naive from the army because you could take people generally on their face value, like especially on the OR level, mate, like guys would not fuck you over. Yeah. If they said they're going to do something, they will go and do it and they will, if they believed in it or whatever, man, like they'll, they'll back you up, right? Yeah. And then I, we got in to start making some phone calls with companies and I realized – to be honest, mate, nobody gives a fuck about your cause. And and I'll say that in regards to veterans, and I'll be blatantly honest about it, mate. Nobody gives a fuck about veterans, and I'm not being a snowflake. Nobody also gives a fuck about single dads contextually unless you're a single dad. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares if you're a woman of, of uh, domestic violence unless you're the woman being domestically abused. So it's all contextual, I suppose, and, and the argument was that my naivety coming forward saying I've got this amazing product with this particular group of people. Yeah. But you're trying to, you're trying to uh, pitch to people with no context and, and they just do not give, I think that's the biggest one is me being naive. They don't give a shit about your issue as much as you do, mate. No, they, no, that, that's completely true. And that's what we've found with 90% of other businesses that um, we've dealt with um, is that, and initially, you do you do take them on face value. You do take everything they say to be gospel, and you, you um, a salesperson will give you a pitch, and you say, "Well, this is what they said they're going to do, so they're going to do it." And they want five grand a month or, or whatever to do it, but they said they're going to do this, so that's going to mean that everything's going to be great because, and then they don't deliver. Salespeople tell you what you want to hear, and you get burnt. And um, it only takes a few times to get burnt hard and to be out of business. So um, I think it's a really big thing um, to. You can't take people in face value because people will lie. Salespeople will tell you what you want to hear and they won't deliver. Um, and you, you know, I suppose you need to hold people accountable to the job that you've told them that they'll be doing, especially when it comes to paying out the companies for the work. Yeah, mate, that was that was some of the best advice I got when we were trying to start pitch, pitching this charity for um, initial funding. My entire pitch was emotional. Yeah. Um, and obviously telling it, like telling the stories of the boys that are dead now, it's like you start fucking tearing up when you're yeah. giving this pitch. And a dude comes up to me after I did one of the pitches and he's like, mate, that was fucking heavy. However, if you want money, no one gives a fuck about veterans. Start yeah. telling them how much exposure they, you can yeah. get for them. Yeah. I'm like, that, mate, I felt sick. Yeah. I was like, that's fucking gross, but it's so true. Yeah, um, there is, I mean, there is, I've met a lot of people from some really big companies and, and, um, that they have been big-hearted people, 100%, but they've got to pass it up the chain yeah. to their bean counters as well and go, can we justify giving this charity a couple of hundred grand? Um, and the answer is not based on solving fucking world problems. The answer is based on how much exposure it's going to get our company. Yeah, so. yeah, that's... Yeah, Business is a pretty gross game sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, 
going to be, if we had known what we know now, and I'm assuming yourself would be exactly the same, and if we do it all again and start from the beginning, how much money we'd save and how fast we'd get to the end state by knowing not to take everyone on face value and knowing when to hold people accountable and that kind of thing. And, and it's the worst thing when you see businesses that get completely dragged by a third-party company and then they're out of business and that's their dream done because someone else fucked them over. Mm. Um, but it happens all the time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I, I still make some mistakes like that. That's why it's good to have a team around us that can yeah. can kind of vet people as well to go. Because I, 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 don't, I don't think I'll ever, it'll ever leave me. I think I, I trust people too much up front and then get yeah. fucked over and then just put them on the kill list. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's probably never going to happen. But you, yeah. you just hate them forever. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, it would have been so much easier if I had have just gone in like not trusting anyone. But at the same time, yeah, I'd rather lose money sometimes and still be Hume at the end of all this. So Spike yeah. tried to teach me this. I mean, obviously he was junior. Remember Spike Milliken in the Bund? So he's. I, I messaged me the other day. Actually, we have to get him on and see that dude's. That dude has done backflips, mate. He's. Uh, he's going to be a, a dad soon. Uh, starting his plumbing. He's he's at the middle of a plumbing apprentice. But when he got to the battalion, he was like Max. He goes, do you know what? He goes, I'm sick of having to move emotionally. Move all of these shit people from the good basket to the bad basket. So what I'm going to do is every person I meet is now going to be in the shit basket and I'll handpick the ones emotionally <laughs> that I can move. And I was like, mate, I should have taken that into business with me because at the moment I'm like, oh, no, they said they're really going to help us. Like we go down to wherever you go, mate, whatever business you go into, and they're like, no, we really, we really want to help. This is such an amazing cause. And then that's what sucks, doesn't it? Being naive is sometimes good because you look through life with rosy glasses on, I guess, and then you get burnt so many times you come sour of other people's intentions. Yeah. It's, which is shit, but, you know, you just, I suppose you've got to mitigate risk where you can and then don't take everyone on face value, but have a hybrid of both where you don't believe everything everyone says, but, you know, you can't be too sour and, and because no one want to work with you, you're also too sour, so. Um, yeah, and, yeah, what's the, what's the balance point? That's a good that's a good yeah. thing, isn't it? What is the balance point between cynical and... I, mate, honestly, I think you just need a couple of people on your team and go, that dude, like good cop, bad cop, that guy's the one with the big heart. Yeah. That guy's going to cut through your shit straight away and yeah. fucking hate you forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you need it. You need it. And then we'll go away and go, all right, give me give me all that you hate him. Give me all the, the ideas that, that you want to bring forward and, yeah. and then see who wins. Yeah. I, I think what you said before is um, having a sounding voice is very important. Um, having friends or even if, if someone's starting a business and they want to have family, they're starting to themselves, family around them as a sounding board, someone who's not so emotionally invested in the business also to throw ideas back and forward to say, um, I think this is a great idea, but I'm also heavily emotionally invested in this business. What do you guys think? Um, you know, I think that would be a good thing as well for a lot of people. And we could have probably used that as well in the past. Um, I think with Sarah and myself, we're both very emotionally invested in the business, so it's hard sometimes to get non-biased um, opinions and feedback unless it's from someone external to us because we're both invested heavily. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that emotional intelligence. It's like, um, it's like a fire chart, you know, the slide scales? So yeah. emotional intelligence and proximity to the problem, you yeah. Can, yeah. they don't add up. As close as you get to the proximity to the problem, the further away you are with emotional intelligence and your ability to actually disconnect. Yeah. Uh, hence, relationship breakdowns yeah. on, on, yeah. on the other side of it where people are like, 
<laughs> no, I know what I'm doing. This is different. I'm a special snowflake and this is what's going to happen. And everyone's like, bro, that is fucking retarded. Stop doing that. And you're like, no, no, no. Emotional intelligence, directly yeah. proportionate to your proximity to the problem. Yeah. Mate, next time you go and speak to your side, can you bring up that every conversation you can find a segue into relationship breakdown? Yeah, so we tell <laughs> every <me>. single conversation. <laughs> we could be talking about building sandcastles, mate. And you're like, while we're on it, yeah, we've got to build them from solid <laughs> foundations, don't you? Otherwise, uh... <laughs> oh, otherwise, I will get washed away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll for the sunburnt back, mate. I tell uh, you, true, mate. That's what I think. But we need to, we need to um, capitalize on Ben. He's my brother. He's our CTO now. Yeah, me and him are like chalk and cheese, mate. Yeah. He needs to come into this because we, we, he's been involved with every business I've had in the past. Yeah. And the first two, he was just too young. He was just um, jumping in board and, and going, yeah, let's just do whatever. He yeah. wasn't a sounding board. I was just a, a dickhead older brother telling him to come along for the ride. And then now he's he's gone away and spent time doing software engineering and, and yeah. kind of found something he loves. But it has turned him, um, doing a uni degree in software engineering has turned him into a fucking logical, stoic, stone face. Like yeah. I'll go in... And, and throw an idea at him that I think is the sexiest idea ever. And he'll be yeah. like, no, that's <laughs> shit, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll run me through a quick process going, it's going to do this, 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 and this. I'm like, ah, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, he can give it, I suppose, a non-biased opinion where it's so hard to think logically when you're so emotionally invested in things. So I um, definitely had those problems over the years. Um, so quickly shifting gears, China, um, have you had dramas with your supply? Uh, no, not really. We had a few delays and that was mainly due to logistical uh, problems. Initially with the COVID, um, getting things through customs and quarantine took a bit longer um, in the early half of the year. Um, but not really. Um, I think a lot of people aren't spending as much money in China at the moment in terms of Western business. So we're actually finding that this year uh, a lot of our manufacturing is getting done faster than normal. Um, I think there's just less people, um, I suppose, getting things done, produced over there. But Yeah, well, there's definitely nobody producing products in China from Victoria or Western Australia because their economy just <laughs> went down the shithole. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's, also, it's also possible that there is no one in China because their um, COVID stats went... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what, you got no more cases? No. As of yesterday, we had 80,000 a day, and now we've got zero. We are good. <laughs> uh, but your population's dropping. Yeah, but yeah. if you don't test for it, you can't be a positive. There's no positive. Yeah, correct. There's plenty of things in place with China. You know, a few years ago, there was a free trade agreement signed between Australia and China, um, which means that we can get textile products um coming in from China, so all of our um, sunglasses and swimwear and all of our postage bags produced, and we don't pay customs and duty tax on the imports. So it's actually improved our, I know you can claim it back anyway um, as a deduction, but it's, that's improved our margins and cash flow in the short term. Um, and there's, there's quite a few things out there uh, with uh, export grants through government agencies, Austrade and stuff. So um, there, there are, and even startup grants are quite a few through the government. So um, that are available if you go on business.gov or whatever and look for grants um, in any industry. Like we've, got, we've got grants in the past for export um, goods where 
Aussie trade will, will try and, um, I suppose, reimburse costs that we've spent um, getting our products into North America and, and, and that kind of thing um, because it helps the Australian economy. Um, the more products that we're shipping overseas, the more money we're bringing into our Australian economy, um, supporting jobs in Australia like with our logistics centre. So there are quite a few grants that are available through the government for-profit businesses as well as non-for-profit. Um, so it's always worth looking at as well for other, other ways to get startup cash if you need to as well. Yeah, that's one that we've got to do a lot more of. I think Jess is going to start looking at grants and, yeah. and tenders as well. Um, but grants, I, got, I went through, we, we took this through this startup accelerator and there's a bunch of companies there that are like, oh, yeah, we got 600 grand for this, 200 grand for this. I'm like, where the <laughs> fuck are you getting all that free money from? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's just all industry development grants. Um, yeah. And it's just something I get too excited about, like building product and, and marketing that I forget about chasing money at the start. And then yeah. <laughs> I, I hate the money chasing. Part. Yeah, I know it's, yeah, the grants are good to, I suppose, um, good for us to have. The majority of grants that we've been given in the past are not startup grants. They're kind of based on existing revenue. So you have to prove you have a product that works, prove that you, can, um, that you are selling overseas and contributing to the economy uh, before the government will give you money, which is probably a good thing. Um, you can't just, but, that, but like I said, there's different grants for different things. With COVID, I think there's more money being put around for people starting up businesses and, and stuff to try and stimulate the economy. Yeah, well, there's um, only about six businesses left in Australia, so. <laughs> <laughs> there's one cafe left in Sydney. Yeah. So, <laughs> mate, um, from, from being a digger in one area, to yeah. being a fucking, to, uh, and I know, like, there's humble dudes, mate, and and I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal, but uh, you're one of Australia's elite soldiers in two commando, to going on an 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 international, extremely successful business. We know what you've done wrong, but what has set you up? Is, is there things in your military career that has taken you or your personal self where? It's taught you either how to succeed or how to find the the, the point where you're fucking you're gonna fuck it and you can get yourself back on track. What like what are some tips that people can fucking hold themselves to? Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday um, and how I suppose what time in the defence force has helped me uh, with the business. Um, and we spoke about risk taking as being a double edged sword, um, which is definitely the business wouldn't be to where it is now today if I didn't have that mentality to take risks. Um, which has been good and a bad thing. But um, another thing I was thinking about uh, as, a, as a positive of being a digger is that, you know, often that you will be made, you've been made to do things um, which can be double handling or you, you see a, um, a clear path to doing something in half the time, which makes common sense to yourself. But because you have to do everything by the book, you don't have a choice but to do it by the book. And it's very frustrating to a lot of diggers, myself included, for many, many years. Um, and I know when I got to commandos, um, they try and encourage that thinking outside the box a little bit more, but there's still the, the, the um, there's still the book and there's still the pan and you still have to do everything as specified to a certain degree. With your own business, that frustration you can take out on running your business because if you want to do something different, you can do it. You, not, you don't have to get permission from a hierarchy or whatever to implement a common sense change that you want to make within the business. So um, I think being a digger and being on the, the shit kicker level for so long and having that frustration of having to do things by the book when you can see a clear path of doing it 
twice as fast and twice as efficient um, has worked really well for myself in business because I can see clear paths to common sense problems and I can implement them myself that afternoon. I don't have to, um, you know, continue to put up with it or cop the frustrations. Just this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And what do you think, uh, Sada, about your own experiences with that and the frustrations of double handling in the army? Yeah, I mean, the boys will probably think that the opposite when I talk about this. <laughs> I, I used to look at processes and um, and SOPs and stuff, and I'm like, there's fucking better ways to do this, but I am not. It's the army. You don't bring it up because I mean, we, we finally got the chance overseas uh, with with mortars. Um, me and Frio built, uh, wrote like the the equation to fix the fucking uh, overlap where two maps grids didn't match up properly, yeah. and that's the first time we had the opportunity to to kind of write our own fix for a problem. Yeah. Uh, we're oftentimes in the army, it's hard. Whereas, and that's what I love most about business is like I, um, oh, I mean, I without sounding like a fuck it, I, I see the way things are done often and go, that's a puzzle. I can fucking put that puzzle together quicker if I do it this way. Uh, So I've turned into a bit of an anal process writing fucking Nazi and the boys hate it. But I think we get to the point where it's only a matter of time and and you go um, finding better ways to do things. You don't want to do them all the time because I I did fall into this trap a a bit at the start um, where I go, all right, there's a better way to do it. And then a month later, you're like, yeah, I found another better way to do it. And you're like, so you, you do need to let things settle in and test and adjust and go, all right, let's test it that way for, for three months, for a quarter, and then go the, then let's improve it. But 100%, mate, the, the, the difference once you're out and being able to make the call and go, this is the best way to do it, let's let's change it right now, yeah. Uh, yeah. is fucking way better. Yeah, there's a story, isn't there, between, and it's absolute bullshit, but the Yanks, they say, so this is the, this is the, this, the fucking Uncle Tony story, right? So the Yanks build their bases and they put their, their buildings down first, right? And then they, the grass grows and they leave it. And they let the diggers walk around and wherever the diggers have worn footpads, then they put footpaths in. Instead of putting a footpath, you see it in one area, mate. The one area gym, like, don't walk on the fucking grass. And you see these well-worn footpads, three feet to the right, you'll see a fucking, a, 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 a fucking concrete footpath. You're like... Because somebody sits there that is completely disconnected from the truth and just goes, we're just going to put a footpath here. When everybody else on the ground level, the diggers that are the sucking dicks, yeah. and see the shortest dick. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what diggers are you hanging out with? Well, <laughs> Kenny gets like, ah, oh, take it out. What time was that? One hour, eight minutes. Yeah. Next talk to me. He's digging, sucking dicks. You said you were in. Resulting in a relationship breakdown. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's... <laughs> there is there is crossover to that, and that is that is customer journey mapping. Like if you if you build a website and you're like, um, then come back three months later and go, what a what's what's the click funnel that people are going through to get to the end state? It's like that is the slow. Although I mean, that's as long as you're tracking, it's still good. But that is a slow and expensive way to do it because then you might have to cut half your website apart and, and rebuild it. Whereas if you do like the Yanks do and actually map it out with fucking a whiteboard and poster, it's going. Here's where I need them to get to. Here's where they're starting. Let's map out the best way and then build build the product around that. That's a fucking way better way to do it. But, but, but even the example you before is you love processes as a – but because you can design your own process as a business owner. Do you know what I mean? Like process, Correct. I, I agree. I, I love processes that we have within our business, but because I can control those processes. And I think that's the difference between being 
in the army and um, having your own business is that you can control the direction that you want to go. And yeah, you might stuff up and make a mistake, but you test and adjust, like you said, and try something else. Um, and I think that's a big, a big thing from having those frustrations for so long. Um, being able to just do it yourself is is really um, fulfilling. I think. I think there's a, there's a there's a gap, mate, and and the gap is this: is that we're still in a process, especially in the Australian Army. I believe, and and I've had conversations with some some bigger dicks than me, but there used to be a process between World War, not much bigger. It's, it's hard, mate. Between World War One and World War Two, we were we need soldiers, so this is what we're going to do. This is why there's a big argument to. Um, extending the school of infantry training from three months we're like hey we've got all these extra stuff to teach them we've got combat shooting we've got room yeah. clearance like we've got close quarter fight like there's so much stuff we've got to teach these guys it's not a claymore a mag 58 a minimizer style anymore when i went through singo it was a fucking three-month course and we learned fucking the basic stuff right the literal basic section attack ambush harbors patrolling yeah. It's the same fucking course now, but boys have got to learn an extra four weapon systems, all yeah. these extra uh, combat shooting while you're a singer, while you're a singer and you're, you're 17 years old and your head's already fucking exploding. But the process was, look, we just need to turn these guys over because we have a product there. And that was a, they say it's a vestige or a, a hangover from World War One, World War Two, where we just got to turn people over yeah. as opposed to being a, a tertiary education in warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fuck, I just lost where I was going. <laughs> you were talking about... No, I won't. I won't. I'll leave it like that. <laughs> Relationships. Something. All right, while, while you... Th- you know, you don't go back to relationships. While, while you're remembering, mate, to, to tie all that together, no shit. The, I don't think... Oh, I remember. Military- oh, yeah, go I remember, mate. Hang on, I'll just stick a pin in my... Just hold, just hold, <laughs> just, this is good, mate. This is fantastic. Ready? Fucking better. So the holdover from World War One and Two, where where ORs were subservient idiots that didn't speak English and officers had an education and money and they could pay their way into a, a higher position. We've somehow along the way got confused between being subservient or a subordinate, sorry, being a subordinate and being a sycophant and a subservient. Just because you're a lower rank. Now, there's no difference today with our equality of outcome between you being an officer or being a digger. Most of the time, it's choice, 100%, right? Yeah. Most guys, you see most diggers are year 12 educated, could have gone to Duntroon and chose to be a digger. So the outcome's the same. Yeah. But the army's taken on this fact that you have to be a sycophant and you have to suck the dick of, that's, that's a common trend of this podcast, mm-hmm. of... Oh, yeah. Of the guy above you, and you can't have a different opinion, right? But you can do, you can have, you can be a subordinate and have a different opinion. You can, you can say, "Hey, no, boss, that's wrong," or "There's a more efficient way to do it." But in the modern army, they're like, "No, you can't fucking say that to me, mate." You're like, "But I, but I've been look. I'm the one that's got to do the work, and I know there's a more efficient way to do it." Yeah, that's yeah. That was my. Uh, that's yeah. my. Well, that's. I mean, that 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 ties into the pin that I put in, man, and that's. I don't. I don't think like when when you're in the military, the processes are written by officers, um, and then when you get out, it's not that you're like I'm the fucking boss now. I get to write the processes. Like when you start a business, you are the boss and the diggers and the land stack all in one. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're doing every job, but you're on the coal face. And if you're getting a process 
for anything and you're not including the guys on the coalface in the conversation, your process is destined to fail. Like mm. the American analogy is perfect. Like someone builds a base, don't don't get an architect to, to plan out where the, where the paths are going to go. Let the diggers dictate because they're the ones fucking walking on it. And if they don't like it, they're gonna diggers are going to find a way around it to do what they want to do anyway and your process is null and void. And when you get so when you get out and you start your own business, you're writing processes, yes, as the dude who has to implement them for the people below him as, you, as your company grows. But, I mean, if if you do start to scale up and you at the top keep writing new processes without bringing the, the diggers or the, the dudes on the coalface into the conversation, your processes aren't going to be efficient or effective. I mean, we did... Me and Max drew this as a kind of similar, like it was a it was a pyramid. We had politicians at the top, officers in the middle, diggers at the bottom. We are currently trying to solve, and this is about problem solving. It's a little bit different, but yeah. trying to solve a problem that is highly, highly uh, the, the 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 numbers are mostly in the OR category. Yeah, a few officers have got um, um, there's been a few officers suicides, but the numbers, the volume is at the bottom. Yeah. So if you're trying to solve a problem to help a demographic at the bottom. They've got to be. They've got to have a fucking seat at the table. Otherwise, we get all these 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 ESOs that are retired generals or politicians into a, a fucking uh, a, an echo chamber or a loop where you go, let's solve a problem. The guy above me said it's sick, so it must be sick. We get heaps of money. It goes around in circle. Everyone's forgotten that the fucking end user is the guy on the bottom. Yeah. They're the ones that need to be involved in. What are the metrics for success? What are the paths we're going to take? And what are the processes we're going to use to solve this problem? Yeah. You need the people in there that are at, on the coal face. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, and the same with principle applies in, in business, you know, like, and how much more efficient would the army be and the defense force in general if they took, um, you know, what, what was the diggers were saying on the ground um, for more efficient ways to solve problems? They took that on board without harming them off. How much more efficient will the defence force be? How much more efficient will the government be? Um, but the thing is, we can't really affect change in that, but we can affect change in our own business. Um, but, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I guess the takeaway that for, for anyone starting business is when you do scale it and get it massive, don't forget to include your fucking 100,000 employees in on the factory floor in the process mapping. Yeah, well, what's that? Uh, is it Amazon where... Um, Jeff Bezos makes the majority of the managers um, sit and, and work in the roles of all of the, I suppose, the subordinates. Um, so they understand, make, uh, I think it's Amazon, when they make decisions, they have to work in that role for a couple of weeks a year um, before they're allowed to make decisions, I suppose, in their managerial um, point of view, because they understand how it works on the ground. And that's so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is Amazon, and, and they're one of the most successful companies on the planet, you know. Well, it's McDonald's as well. McDonald's, in order to buy a McDonald's franchise, you have to work in it as an employee for a year. And I mean, this this cycles full circle back to bringing in consultants. Like if you're going to bring in a consultant who knows fuck all about your business to consult on how to make your business more efficient, there will be some generic things that they they can bring to the table and go, if you you can cut costs here, here and here. Um, But if if they're going to come in and help you build new process, they need to be working in your business from the ground up. Yeah, I agree more. Um, so I guess looking that back to our time in the defence force, that's probably for me. I see it as a positive thing in, in working as a digger, and I'm glad I was a digger rather than an officer. And like you said, Max, it was a choice for all of us to go in as diggers because that's what we wanted to do, not because we weren't intelligent enough to be officers, it's because we didn't want to. And um, there is the mentality, like you said, that you know um, officers are the only ones that can run businesses, and that's not true. Diggers can, um, and the majority of 
guys that do have successful businesses are, especially these days, diggers because they're highly intelligent and they know what they want and they had a problem solved very well. Um, and I think guys don't give themselves enough credit to think that they not they can't achieve what they want to, and so they don't have a try. And I think you, you always have to have to give it a shot. It's the same with you know, doing selection. Um, I could have always just not had a crack, um, but I did. And if you don't have a crack, you're not going to know. It's the same with business. Uh, I think the selection piece, mate, um, uh, the, I think the biggest advice from an unsuccessful person uh, is if you <laughs> don't second guess yourself, don't go. Because, I mean, we had a big conversation with boys who were cl my close mates. and like, mate, you can't do it. You won't finish it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. But as soon as you put your app in, the decision's out of your fucking hands. And then it goes from second guessing and doubting, put your app in, and then now you've got a and fucking move forward. Yeah, 100%. Because at the end of the day, that, you know, it's, it's, if, you don't have, if you don't have a shot and if you're too concerned about the opinions of other people, you're never going to succeed in anything. So you, you, I, I don't really give a shit. What, if someone else wants to... And we had the same thing with the business. Um, plenty of people thought it wasn't going to succeed and make comments in the interview and comments like that. And I use that as, a, as fuel to make it successful. Even when I'm on the verge of maybe we think this isn't going to work, push through that and then now I'm just rubbing their faces because those kind of people you don't want as friends, they're not constructive people and um, take that, don't let it get you down, I guess, use it as fuel to prove them wrong, uh, whether it's going for having a short selection or whether it's having a short of a business. Oh, mate, there's no, there's no more powerful motivator than trying to prove people wrong. Yeah. <laughs> As long as, as long as you you got to back yourself, though. you can't just go, hey, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and then put in no effort, and then you're like, oh, well, yeah, ah, proved them all right. What is, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to know. Uh, so, from somebody who who did everything wrong, um, and my negative chat, if you could have heard my internal dialogue on selection, was, I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. Like from the fucking start, mate. I just didn't because I couldn't be fucked doing the paperwork, which was one signature. <laughs> Uh, too lazy to quit. Like, <laughs> but did you? So I mean, so you hear about Goggins, uh, and he's like, "Yeah, just fucking want to eat it." But there are people like so. Schwebzy is a fucking animal. The dude doesn't. I don't think he feels pain. He enjoys hurting himself. Sam Fowl used, used to fucking. He used to just enjoy hurting himself. Yeah. Um, were there people that have like? Was your what was your internal dialogue while you were going through? Was it? I mean, the points of ups and downs or consistent? No, it was consistently shit. <laughs> the entire time, of course, yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to end it um, the entire time, you know. It's like a – and then even once you do finish your lesson, you got the, the rest of the year on Rio where you can get um, kicked off at any time. It's very stressful. It plays on your mind a lot and um, plenty of times. I think the main thought going through my head the entire time was on selection was just – you know, I want this to be done, and but I suppose you just got to push through it. It's the only way to get through it, really. Um, but everyone thinks that, and I don't know. My 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 feeling is that if someone says they didn't feel like they wanted to pull up on selection, if they didn't feel that, I think that's a, a, the lie because everyone wants to pull up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Not enjoyable at all. No. Well, they do it to make you break. I think there was there's a breaking point. Uh, I think yeah. I think everybody breaks on selection to a point mentally, and 
people who have never failed in life struggle more because they're like, oh, I shouldn't feel like this. People who have been in the gutter and failed at everything, they're like, yeah. oh, I know where this is. I'll pick myself up. I'm going to cry like a schoolgirl and then I'm going to go for a bit of a walk, mate. Or you're just an extreme athlete and you just kill it. Whatever. <laughs> That's, I mean, there's, there's, there's a crossover there to business too. Like there's not a, there's no such thing as a business who just has fucking clear skies from day one. Um, and the military does help with resilience. It gives you heaps of fucking lessons learned in resilience going, yeah, yeah right, this is going to be shit for a bit. Um, for the next month or the next week, whatever it is, this is going to be fucking shit. Just deal with it. Well, um, whereas a lot, yeah, 100%. When I was um, putting down some points yesterday and relating my time in the army to to business, that's one of my main points was resilience and mental toughness. Um, learning those skills in the army as an infantry, as a grunt, and as a commando, I think um, without the resilience, I wouldn't have gotten through having the business because, yeah, you're not out, um, I suppose, your life's not on the line and you've got a business, but. Sometimes it can be worse, I think, because of the financial implications and the stress that never ends. At least, I suppose, when you're in Afghanistan, you're on patrol, you can come back and you can, you can just chill out for a little while. But with a business, it's kind of always playing on your mind, um, especially during the stressful times. And without that mental toughness and resilience, I don't think that we would have gotten through um, half of the stuff that we've done in the business. I don't know what um about yourself Sutter. imagine yeah mate i a thousand percent agree the whole, one i mean the first business i had that uh it was it was kind of smooth sailing for the first six to 12 months and then yeah um obviously bad bad staffing decisions cost me um uh, well the whole comp the the whole first business when we put the wrong person in charge of it but mate i couldn't agree more the the the, the stuff you learn in the military whether you're actually paying attention or not with with resilience is is definitely yeah um a huge asset that no, and that's that's something young diggers don't. You, you leave the military and they're like, "Oh, what's your skill set?" And they're looking for boxes to tick for for to RPL it over to to uni or TAFE. And it's like, mate, I know how to um, lead people. I know how to to, to talk to um, dudes around me and, and build culture. And I know how to just fucking grit through shit. Um, that's an asset to starting your own business, big time. Yeah, and that's something I was thinking about as well yesterday. Um, uh, and, and and a lot of guys, myself included, that if you can't RPL for something, uh, a, a skill set that you had in the army, you think that you're not worth anything in the civilian sector, but it's completely not true because you can't put a price on the mental toughness and resilience that you learn in the army and defence force. Um, but applying that to business is is the difference between success and failure. Um, and so many things, just because you can't end, um, I suppose, RPL everything you learn as a grant or as a commander or, or whatever, into a civilian qualification, it doesn't mean that you're not worth um, your weight. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I think it's completely. Um, you can't put a price on that on that toughness that you learn. That will get you through the tough times in business. Um, mm. Problem yeah, solving, absolutely. thinking on the spot, and, um, and that kind of thing. I think is very important for, for business. Hundred um, percent. And you know, another it goes back to the I suppose the mentality of a lot of people that think they're not good enough for uh, starting a business, especially as a digger, um, is that you you don't need to have a degree. You don't have to go to uni. You don't have to be an officer to start a business. Anyone can can start a business, and you can learn as long as you're willing to learn and problem solve and um, test and adjust and, and have the toughness to push it out. Anyone can do it, um, mate. And, and it's not just anyone. Like 
I, I don't want to, to, to go, all right, you're an officer, you're a dig so you should do this, you should do that, because everybody's fucking different and everyone's got their own individual skill sets. Um, but generically, the, the training you get as an officer, you're far better suited to go and do an MBA and try and get a job in someone else's yeah. company. Yeah. The training you get as a digger, you are far better off. Well, I mean, I'm probably biased from, from ORs looking up, but ORs could potentially do both because you go to uni, they're going to teach you all those skills anyway. But yeah. to, to, to start, like to, to launch a startup, you need to wear seven hats and fucking work. Mm-hmm. And that is not a common skill set for officers. Um, <laughs> not all of them anyway. There is some, there is some, obviously, like I said, there's, there's unique cases um, and outliers of dudes who just love getting their hands dirty and getting the, the grunt work done. But it's it's not common, um, and no, that's yeah. Uh, I guess uh, the point that I was more getting at is that guys don't have the self confidence, especially as diggers. And I was the same. Is that I always thought I wasn't um, suited to running, um, you know, a large company or a business. So I could do it up because you know I didn't finish E twelve. I don't have a degree. I don't have an MBA. But that's just um, not having the confidence in yourself to do it, um, and I think that's where, especially diggers, that even if you're leaving the army as a private defence force as a as a digger, it doesn't matter. Like everything that I've learned, and I'm, I'm sure you do the same with everything you learn with marketing and e-commerce and the software side of things, you can teach yourself online. You know, YouTube is a, is a plethora of knowledge, and you can learn everything that you can in a uni degree. But you only need to learn specifically what you need to learn, rather than you know half the stuff that you learn at uni might not be relevant to an e-commerce business, for example. So I can learn specifically what I need to learn online. It's free. And then I can implement that straight away. And you just need to be willing to learn and to um, have confidence in yourself. Mate, 100%. Mark, so, so to write a textbook or to write a, a course um, outline for a university, like the information has to be a minimum of five years old. It's got to be written by someone, approved yeah. by a bunch of people, spat out and taught to everyone. And if you're using five year old five year old marketing advice in a business these days, you are fucked. Yeah. Like you need any yeah. anything marketing related in the digital space, you need to be updating your skill set every three months at the yeah. latest. Yeah. Or at the least. Um, going to do degrees. I mean, there's a there's there's some perfect uh, pathways where you want to go to uni, do a degree. Um, but but marketing and, and digital kind of stuff, but digital sales is definitely not one of them. Well, that needs to be self taught. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, I did, I did start a small uh, cert for and um, business management before we started this business, and it's funny you say that because the majority of the stuff in that course was completely not relevant to e-commerce. Nothing, they had nothing about cloud-based software, cloud, um, cloud-based accounting, or um, didn't even cover Facebook or Instagram marketing. Um, you know what I mean? And, and this is trying um, supposed to be a business management course to get out there and run your own business, but none of it was relevant. You know. Um, a couple of the things in terms of um, uh, reading a profit and loss statement were relevant. They're never going to change. The principles are the same. But everything else was completely irrelevant to what I learned. Um, so I completely agree. You're going to find better information. Yeah, unless you want to get a degree and work for someone else, that's awesome. But if you want to start your own business, my opinion is to get out there alone. Um, you don't need a degree to start a business. And you have to just, just be confident in yourself. Yeah, 100%. Perfect time for a quick plug on Inno Club. So we were actually um, starting businesses. Like there is plenty of courses out there uh, that are really quick kind of weekend or a couple of weeks. Or the, the best ones in the tech space are tech accelerators where they'll run you through like 
how to fail your business, how to how to um, find out whether your idea is dog shit or not, then how to kind of do a rapid, rapid business validation and, and growth plan without writing a 45-page page business plan and without going to get a bank loan. And yeah. that, that, I mean, there is a place for that, but most of that, that business model is a dinosaur. Um, so Inno Clubs is, is one that we're kind of working with a little bit. One of the um, RSLs down is back that for the young boys who want to get out and start their own business. It's like a six six days, so three weekends in a row around the course. And it's all it's all funded by the RSL. Yeah. How's yeah. that enough plug on it? Yeah, you, you couldn't even you couldn't even see it. You couldn't feel it. It just slid straight. <laughs> it just felt natural. <laughs> um, but there's some there's um Shannon Sedgwick was <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored, we're, we're also sponsored by Mother. Um, chop that in and put it on. So no, um, uh, <laughs> you still drinking X3, that shit, mate? <laughs> X three hour dude, um, Shannon Sedgwick. Uh, he's a he's a successful digger that got out uh, and and is is high corporate Sydney and just wants to fucking help people, mate. And yourself as well is is testament to the fact of success as a digger that just went. You know what? I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm fucking doing it, and I'm going to learn. Yeah. Uh, and and your business is testament to that, mate. Yeah. Um, so these sort of people, we're going to try and draw in and 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 have this wealth of knowledge from lived experience guys that want to teach dudes and be like, you could fucking do it. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, there are um, the tech accelerator thing is awesome. That's that's such a cool thing. I would love to have done something like that. And you learn so much by by doing that. And, you know, we went to a few um, retail global conferences in the Gold Coast when we first started our business and. And that was really good to, to be around like-minded people as well. Um, now it's quite specific to e-commerce, um, but there's also mentorship programs that people can get for free, like successful business owners. You know, once they get a bit older, I guess, and want to just mentor other people, you can get it for free without even paying. Um, we also got a lot of knowledge in the early days of our business too. We were approaching investors, and at the time we were looking for um, investment. We didn't move forward with it because we didn't want to give up. Uh, equity in our company, but I learned a lot of knowledge by talking to um, these investors because, you know, um, comparing them to say, a consultant who spent 20 plus thousand dollars with the investors were free, um, but because they had a potential financial vested interest in our company, they were going over the numbers and everything in a fight with a fine current. And I learned more talking to investors looking to um, get investment for our company for free. Then we got out of our, our talking to a cons- um, consultant that worked for our for our company for six months. Mm. I think that's the model that people isn't that the model that's sort of the sort of going around at the moment. People don't want to hear from doctors and lawyers. Yes, the, the, the information is always factually true, but they want to learn from people who've done it. And investors have done it because they've generally gone through growing their own businesses, yeah. and now they're trying to expand and, and scale their own yeah. personal life, business life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and some of the best knowledge that we've got um, has, has, has come from them, um, completely free. Um, but like I said, online you can find anything, uh, find information on anything. Information is free online. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so what's next, mate? You, if you're not chasing investments, are you just going to keep organically growing, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you, I suppose. We're going to head around the numbers and, and um, outside of, um, uh, I suppose, the, the costs and, and everything associated with our business now that I guess we could always grow the business 10 times faster with an investment, but there's the trade-off of um, 
because we can completely control our own company now. We can we can do what we want with it. We're not accountable to someone else. Um, and there'd be pros and cons with both. So for now, we're just going to continue as we have been, um, still growing, um, you know, at a, at a decent pace, but limited to our cash flow and how much money um, I suppose we have coming in. Um, but we'll see what the future holds. You know, it's not we're not going to rule out selling the company or potentially getting the investment down the track, but we both enjoy working on it on our own terms for now. Um, and so where, where's, the, where's the decision point for going public? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> that a, uh, you, want, you want the inside track on an IPO? <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that one quiet, mate. <laughs> we'll keep it quiet, mate. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if we were to get investment, it would just be a... Um, uh, private investors, so we wouldn't be looking at going public. I think none of those investors would be looking to go public until you're doing well over 100 million or more a year, and we're not there yet. So, um, yeah. Um, but, you know, in saying that, a few of the, the, the conferences we've been to over the, the years, and uh, one um, business owner, Kogan, Russell Kogan, uh, we've seen a few times speak in person, has been um, a big inspiration for us, and, and we've um, been to talks with him. Um, before he had owned a public company and then now afterwards um, owning Coden.com as a publicly traded company. It's really cool to see the journey that he's been on and the risk that he's taken and listen to him uh, talk. And we can relate to a lot of those things that he's been through um, with a completely different business. Um, but then to see the end state and where, where he's gotten to with his company is a big inspiration, I think. It's always good to have someone to look up to in business sense, I guess. Yeah, that's sick. I mean, men- mentors in business is fucking one thing that I needed way more when I was starting out. And that's yeah. if if, I, if someone comes to me and says, "What well, like, what's the one? Th- if you got one takeaway to give to young blokes from the starting, like get get a good mentor um, to fill in all of the blank because most of the, your knowledge when you're starting out is about one percent of what you need, and the mentors will help you fill out the rest. Yeah, well, not all of it, but as much as possible. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Um, I guess starting points for Anyone who's looking to start a business um, for myself every day, Sarah and I will go through a list making, um, I suppose, routine. We'll make a list of things that we want to do for the day. Um, you can use software like Asana or programs to to um, to do that. We also find satisfaction just writing down every day a list of things and tasks that we want to do um, and then, you know, making sure we achieve some of them. If we don't, they roll on to the, next, the tasks for the next day. And always having, you know, a short-term goal, a medium-term goal and a long-term goal with the business and your lifestyle, what you want to achieve, um, and then making keeping yourself accountable on a daily basis to make sure you're heading in the right direction for that. Um, so, I suppose for anyone that is looking to start a business, I would say write down your own ideas every day on a daily basis. Research um, everything because information is free online. Um, you know, look, never go in uh, blind. Uh, I'd say look for ways to mitigate risk and have a plan for everything you're doing. You do have to take risks, but like I said earlier on, what we've learned is you can't make your risk too big, otherwise you can be out of business pretty quickly. Um, and I love taking risks, but I've had to learn to reel that in a bit over the years because as the business grows bigger and bigger, the stakes get higher and, you know, next thing you know, your house can be on the line because you're buying 20,000 bikinis and it's a couple hundred thousand dollars. So, um looking for ways to mitigate risk and having a plan. Like in the army, you have branch plans for everything. You have a, um, a scenario and a plan how to execute 
And these are things that you learn in sub one um, JLC and, and you don't even realize how you can apply it to business. You know, having a plan and being able to execute that. And that's all business is really. Um, and it just goes back to what I was saying before that guys not having enough confidence in themselves, but you've done JLC or you've done time as a bigger, chances are you have skills and you have what it takes to start a business because you know what needs to be done to solve problems. Um, you know, testing and trying new ideas, learning from your mistakes and don't repeat the same mistake, you know. Um, that's not to say what didn't work now isn't going to work in six months' time. We always retest things that, like we are talking about before with Amazon Prime, um, Amazon Fulfillment Centre, that didn't work for us three years ago. It's not to say we won't try it again because they could have changed their way they're doing things and it will work again. So you need to constantly try and test and adjust uh, and then revisit things that perhaps didn't work in the past but might work in the future. Um, and I think finding a business that you can grow around your passions is a big thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not so passionate about bikinis, but I'm passionate about numbers and, um, you know, analytics and, and, and marketing. And that's where my passion lies. And I can, because uh, at the end of the day, when times are tough with the business, I, my opinion is passion is the only thing that's going to get you through is resilience. Um, and if you, you're running a business that you're not completely passionate about, you're pretty more likely to throw in the towel when things get tough. Um, yeah. if, you, if you start a business to get rich, you're fucked from day one. <laughs> If that is, if your if your goal is to get money and not you're not passionate about any of it, then you are fucked. Yeah. But I tell you what, I reckon I could get passionate about your business pretty quick too, mate. I've seen your website. <laughs> would be uh, it'd be it'd be a tough job to rock up to. Like, yeah. right, what are we gonna do today? Uh, we gotta we gotta trial some stock. Like, okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time you um doing your photo shoot for your your summer line. I might have to make a trip up there. <laughs> All the creeps hanging out in the bushes, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, mate, um, it's been sick to get you on, dude, and, and to hey. speak to you again. Um, I think we'll have to keep you on as, as one of the, uh, if you're keen, to be one of the, uh, come on and, and drop some knowledge bombs in the business space for the for the yeah. listeners, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll catch up with you. Dave's right next to you, um, and we'll we'll catch up after this, so. Um, we'll chat to you soon, bro. Thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having us. Cheers, mate. Let's see. Yeah, awesome. Do another cash up soon. <laughs>